name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney Free. If we haven't met, love to meet you after the service. If you're a newcomer here, special welcome to you, and uh, so grateful that you chose to join us today. We are in this uh, sermon series called A Beautiful Mess, in which we're talking about the church, how it's both beautiful and messy at the same time. Uh, there are other uh, descriptions of the church in the New Testament. There's a number of different metaphors, though, that are used as you go through the New Testament for what the church is. Uh, the church is called the body of Christ, for example. So you have Christ who is the head of the church, and he's the head of this church, and we are his body. So some of us are the fingers, and others are the toes, and others are the spleen. You know, like we all have a role, okay? We each have a role, but we, we need each other to function well together. The church is the body, and Christ is the head. The church is also called the bride, the bride is the beautiful, spotless, radiant bride of Christ. And obviously, we don't come to Christ spotless and radiant, but he makes us spotless and radiant through his cross, through his blood, well, which forgives us. We are the bride of Christ. We're also called a community, and we're called a fellowship, and we're called a flock, that we are the sheep, and he is the great shepherd. And all of those are really wonderful, informative metaphors for what God's church is and what Jesus intends the church to be. But you know what the number one metaphor is for the church? That is used most, most frequently throughout the New Testament. Family. Far and away, the most frequently used metaphor to describe what Jesus intends the church to be is a family. And I don't know about you, in my family, we... We celebrated together, and we cried together. That was a big part of what bonded us together as a family growing up, and it's true in our family of four now as well. We celebrate, and we cry together. We share in each other's pain, and we share in each other's redemption. And our prayer is, though, that we would increasingly become that kind of family, even in this large room and online as well. A part of the way that we celebrate is through the gift of baptism, and we'll have a few different baptisms later on in the service. We'll also celebrate communion later on in the service. But I was thinking though this past week about many different baptisms that we've had in this room over the years, so many awesome stories of celebration, of saying goodbye to the past and hello to our future together as a church family. And I was just kind of um, thinking back through those different celebrations, and they were really inspiring to me yet again. And one of them though, that I sat on for a while last week well, was the story of a woman named Jolene Carcajillian. I think I got that right. And Jolene and Kurt have been attending this church for quite some time. She's married and she has three middle school kids. And uh, Jolene had put off baptism for a long, long time. And she came up on the stage and shared her story back in November. And I was cut to the heart as I heard her story. And I've known Kurt and Jolene some over the years, but I haven't known them deeply. And she shared before her baptism that her daughter Catherine, when she was a young girl, went through cancer. And she choked up as she was sharing the story of her daughter's cancer and what it did to her. And over a course of time, she was beaten down and she started to lose her spiritual vitality. But God met her there in her deepest place of pain, and out of that pain, God has slowly rebuilt her life and rebuilt her faith. 
And she shared that in that time, she had to go through personal counseling. And she's a very private person. She didn't want to share that. She gave me permission to share it again today, of course. But in that pain, she decided to go to personal counseling for the first time. And their marriage needed some work, so they started to go to marriage counseling for the first time. And she courageously stood up and shared the story of all of that where God met her. And she said in her baptism testimony this, she said, I've been putting off baptism for years and years, thinking, what will people think of me when they see me being baptized now after I've been a Christian all these years? Will they think I wasn't really a Christian before? And then she said this, I've learned that life is so much more than what people think about you. Mm, Amen. I've learned that life is so much more than what other people think about you. And then she said, I simply need to be faithful to God and honor his commands regardless of what anyone thinks. And I choked up that evening hearing Jolene's story, hearing her pain, and then being able to rejoice with her in baptism. I don't know Kurt and Jolene all that well, but what I felt that evening was a sense of kinship, a sense of family. But this is my brother and this is my sister. And I rejoice with her on this day and I mourn with her over the pain that she has experienced. This is part of what we do as a church, is we share in each other's stories of pain and redemption. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12. He gives this command for the church. He says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I wonder if you would read that out loud with me, both online and here in this room. Let's all say it together. Ready? Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. In other words, empathy. Have the empathy to listen to someone else's story Have the empathy to learn a little bit about where they've been and walk a mile in their shoes. And as you do so, rejoicing in their joys and mourning their pain, what will inevitably happen is you'll be bonded together in community in a way that you never have been before. That's what stories do for us, isn't it? Like shared vulnerability, shared stories has a way of connecting us the way nothing else can And Jesus intends this for his church. Today, well, we're going to have a couple baptisms, a few baptisms. We'll have another one next week in the venue as well. And we'll celebrate communion. But because Jesus has given us these two wonderful ordinances, these two celebrations, the theological word is ordinance, he has ordered us to do these two things, to be baptized and to celebrate communion for these purposes of mourning our own sins and failures, and rejoicing in what God has done to deliver us from all of them. In the early church, communion usually included a meal. And what they would do is this. Uh, they would gather together and they'd get their little piece of matzah bread, unleavened bread, and they would take that in remembrance of Christ's body given for them. Then they would take a little sip of wine and they would take that in remembrance of Christ's blood that was shed for each of them And after doing that, after confessing their sins and receiving God's forgiveness, then they would rejoice together as they celebrated 
a meal together. It would be communion coupled with a wonderful celebratory meal on a week-in and week-out basis. In essence, in communion, this is what we do, we mourn our sin and we rejoice in God's forgiveness and we do that together. We mourn our sin and we rejoice in God's forgiveness together. Communion is not an individual thing that you do by yourself at home. Now we know people are watching online and will probably participate in communion from their home and that's all good because even virtually you're still participating with us here in the church right now as we do this together. But communion is not intended to be a solitary event that's just me and my God. It's intended to be mourning and rejoicing together. Listen to the Apostle Paul's instruction on communion from 1 Corinthians 13. You might turn there with me in your Bible if you have a Bible here today. 1 Corinthians comes right after the book of Acts and then Romans, then 1 Corinthians. If you get to 2 Corinthians, just turn back to the left a little bit. Uh, You'll also find this on our church app. But all of 1 Corinthians 11 is uh, this instruction on proper procedures for communion proper philosophy and theology for communion. And Paul, once again, is writing to a local church, this one in Corinth, Greece, guiding them on how they would celebrate communion together. We're not going to look at the entire passage right now. You might read 1 Corinthians 11 later on today. but We're going to look at just eight verses, verses 23 through 29. I guess that's seven verses. I was not a math major. Okay. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. If I had my Bible out right now, I would circle those words, unworthy manner. Whoever eats or drinks in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So you ask, how do I eat and drink in a worthy manner? Everyone ought to examine themselves, underline examine themselves, before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, this doesn't say how often we are to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but it says whenever we do, we're to do certain things. We're to remember our sin that put Jesus on the cross. This is not a time to remember other people's sin. This is a time to do business with God, look in the mirror, and remember my failures that I need God's forgiveness. It's a time to remember that Jesus literally shed his body and blood for us right in the middle of our sinfulness while we were not friends of God. It's right there that Jesus died for us. 
This is a time for us to remember that Jesus is coming back again and he will set this world, which is wrong, he will set this world to rights. He will make everything right one day. We remember all of that as we come to the communion table. And then it says 27 and 28, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Therefore, examine yourself before eating. Let's break this down a bit. The Bible is saying before we would come to the communion table, like perhaps even right now, we would examine ourselves. Okay, you have a permission right now from your pastor to take a vacation from my sermon to examine yourself. Maybe you haven't done that before you come to church on the first Sunday of the month and you prepare yourself for communion, and I'm going to encourage you to do that on the first Sunday of each month, that we would prepare ourselves, that we would examine ourselves before we come to the communion table. And if you haven't done that, perhaps now would be the time to do that. You say, where have I missed the mark this last month? Where have I failed my wife or my kids, in my case? Where have I been judgmental of other people who are different than me? Where have I sinned in my anger? Where have I given control of my life to something or someone else? Where have I been lustful or lazy? Where have I missed an opportunity that God was giving me something to do and I simply chose not to do it? This is the difficult work of examining oneself. And we have an opportunity to kind of keep short accounts with God on a monthly basis and get right each and every time we come to the communion table by taking the communion elements in a worthy manner, which is about recognizing all that Jesus died for in you and me. And then we celebrate. First we mourn, and then we rejoice. Jesus went even further, though, than what I'm talking about here. He says over in Matthew chapter 5, if you come to the worship service at the temple and you remember that you have something against your brother or sister or they have something against you, just stop your worship at the temple and go take care of that. Wow. That's quite a statement. Like, go deal with personal relationships that need to be reconciled with brothers or sisters. It's that big a deal to, to Jesus that he says... Go take care of that first and then come back to worship. This is what it means, my friends, to examine ourselves to take communion in a worthy manner. Now, I get church doesn't talk about this too often anymore because this is really difficult personal work, but I'm here to tell you this is basic to communion. This is basic. And I'm also here to tell you that the unreflected life is not worth living. It's the reflected life where we look in the mirror regularly and ask God to do work in our soul, to make us right with him well once again, to admit the areas that we've missed the mark, all of those kinds of things. That's where we experience personal freedom. And that's where we experience tremendous growth because we experience God's grace each and every time we do that as he forgives us once again. 
So here's a few communion questions, examination questions that perhaps you would consider even today before we take communion a few minutes. What attitudes, words, and actions have I done this past month that would displease God? Second, when did God want me to do something that I simply did not do? Third, who do I need to apologize to or forgive right now? Like, what if we actually did this on a month-to-month basis? What if I was able to come to church and my wife was able to trust that Adrian is doing this each month? And I knew that she was doing this. And we're teaching our kids that they would do this as well. And perhaps, like, what if everyone in your life group, you knew they were doing it also? And while sometimes things go sideways in life group, we know that they are going to God also. And what if we know our coworkers who happen to attend this church also are doing this? And our neighbors who happen to attend this church, they also are doing this. And what if we just knew that each and every first Sunday of the month, we come together and we admit the ways that we had fallen short of God's mark, and then we receive God's gracious forgiveness to us and we rejoice over that. Verse 25, this is the cup of the new covenant Covenant just means promise. This is the cup of the new promise in my blood, Jesus says. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. What's the new promise? It's this. Not only does God forgive you, but he forgets about your sin. Hallelujah. He chooses not to look at your sin anymore. He chooses not to look at my sin anymore. As far as the east is far from the west, he has forgiven us completely. Woo! That's what I'm talking about. If you actually believe that, And then you did this with your family, with your friends, well, with your life group on a month-in and month-in basis. I'm telling you, the first Sunday of each month would be a party of God's grace. Week in and week out, month-in and month-out, communion would turn into a party of celebrating God's grace specifically given for specific needs for each of us. It's in communion that we, re, that we mourn our sin and rejoice in God's forgiveness together. And then it's in baptism, this other wonderful ordinance of the church, that we leave our past and then we rejoice in our future together. Jesus again gave these gifts to the church to be communal events for bonding the family of God. Listen to Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, again from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor by the name of Titus who is leading another small church in the island of Crete within the Mediterranean Sea. And he says this, at one time we too, all of us, both hands for me, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Like, that's who we were at one time or another. You could add to that list, and we all can find ourselves on that list. In one way or another, we were enslaved. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of any righteous things while we had done, but because of his mercy. He cleansed us with the washing through rebirth and renewal. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he enters in and he cleanses us. At one time, we were foolish. 
At one time, we were disobedient to God. At one time, we were just doing our own thing, making our own identity out of hundreds of different identity options. At one time, my identity was really ugly. And then I came to the baptismal waters, and I said, bye-bye. Goodbye, boastful basketball-playing Adrian. Bye-bye. Now I still retain competitive Adrian. <laughs> but bye-bye to boastful Adrian. Goodbye to arrogant, prideful Adrian. Goodbye to judgmental Adrian. Goodbye to all of the ways that I looked down at other people because they weren't quite as good as me. Goodbye to all that junk. And hello to righteousness and holiness in Christ. Not because of anything that I bring to the table, but because of the goodness of God and what he's done for me. Okay, that's all it is. I don't remember the specific day though that I became a Christian, but I do remember, and I will never forget, October 8th of 2001, when I stood in a baptismal tank like this in front of family and friends, believers and skeptics and just curious people who didn't know what Christianity is about, and I shared with them the difference that God has made in my life to rescue me out of darkness and bring me into his wonderful light. And that's what we do in baptism is we celebrate that. It's the outward expression of this inward reality that I, that I now belong to Christ. I don't belong to those other things that I used to belong to. Jesus has canceled my shame. He's taken me out of the slavery of my sin, and he's purchased a new life for me by his mercy and through his blood. When we come to the baptismal waters, we are saying goodbye to our old identity and hello to our new and future identity. And we get to celebrate that with one another. It's a powerful thing, and we're going to celebrate that with a few people here today and one or two next week as well, one in the first service, beautiful testimony that we hear together. And, you know, uh, baptism is just such a beautiful thing that reminds us that we are united to one another. Like, I know that as I look across this room, we disagree on hundreds of things. We disagree on... Uh, who knows? Lots of different stuff, I'm sure. Whatever, whatever the issue de jour is, parenting or politics or vaccines or whatever, who knows? I'm sure we disagree in this room on all of those and many, many more. But we're united on something bigger. We're united with each other. We're united with billions of people across the world, regardless of different customs and languages regardless of different values and dreams and hopes that people have all over the world, we're united with people who call on the name of Christ in this. We are baptized into new life with him. And what brings us together there is far greater than what would take us apart from one another. Friends, here's the secret of really healthy churches what would bind us together, what would make us family is not the pastor. It's not the preaching. It's not the programs. It's not the great music. What binds us together is our stories. It's our stories of pain and redemption. 
It's our joint stories of mourning with one another and then rejoicing with each other. It's the empathy that says, yeah, you have a different story than me and I wanna learn it. I care about your story and I'd like to walk in your shoes for a moment. It's learning from each other. It's the vulnerability of shared stories of pain and redemption that we experience what Jesus says we are, the family of God. Families learn each other's stories. We celebrate, we mourn together because we're family. So Father, we ask that you would help us to live that out. We pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would help us not just to come to church as individuals looking out for ourselves, but we would come to church saying, how can I be family to others? And especially as we come into communion and baptism here in a few moments, we, we recognize that we are united with each other on things that are central. We're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Those of us who have called on the name of Jesus Christ, we're now all filled with the Holy Spirit. We're united by the fact that Jesus Christ died for us and he rose again. We're united by the fact that we have a common baptism and a common testimony that once we were not followers of Christ, but now you've made us followers of Christ. You brought us into your family. And Lord, sometimes we don't think of ourselves this way. I get that. But the truth is, in heaven, it's not going to be mostly about biological family. The emphasis that the scripture gives is that in heaven it's about the unity of the spiritual family that all of us have one father and there's a head over all of us who is Jesus Christ so father would you help us to live that way even now to listen to each other to learn from each other to grow together to cry and to celebrate together we love you Lord we thank you for having us right as we are we give ourselves to you both today and throughout this week. In Jesus' name.